0: hitting record. But
1: yeah, I I've, I've got it paused just as the the universal uh, slate is ending.
0: Okay, let me see there. So that's where I am. As it's ending?
1: Right. It, it's already gone through the whole the whole thing and the you can see the globe and the word universal in front of it and it's just about to go off the screen.
0: Okay. We can get to that. Okay, I'm at a blackout, I'm sure that it's not really a, uh, has to be exact, but okay. I think we're good. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. Okay, hit record. Okay. Uh, Welcome everyone to The Commentarians. I'm your host, Joe.
1: And I'm Gina D'Alfonso.
0: And we're here to talk over your movies. All right, getting into it. Uh, Welcome, everyone, to the Commentarians. Uh, And as you just heard, we have Gina with us once again.
1: Glad to be back.
0: All right. And uh, you picked a great movie. And here's the funny thing about it. I don't know a lot of people who even know this movie exists. It's not really all that popular, but Rotten Tomatoes has a great score. It's like 79% critic score and 77% audience score. Uh, It's gotten a lot of great reviews uh but i haven't heard of this movie besides you mentioning it to me
1: it didn't um it didn't get a lot of attention when it came out as i recall uh but as you say those who see it do tend to love it and so my hope is that in years to come it will eventually get a reputation as a christmas classic uh one of the the um Films that people like to watch around this time of year. uh, Just because, as you say, I think it's a great movie. Mm -hmm. It revisits uh, the classic A Christmas Carol, but in like a whole new way. (laughs) It sort of of takes us for a really deep dive into it and teaches us all sorts of new things about it. And it's just a, a terrific movie, a terrific biopic in its own right.
0: Yeah, and uh, let me ask, uh, has Christopher Plummer ever played Scrooge before?
1: It's interesting you bring that up, because I was going to bring it up myself, and I don't think he has, and I think it's such a great shame. I know. <laughs> Maybe he played it on stage at some point, I don't know, he's just magnificent. He just and would make a perfect Scrooge. He would be—he would be so perfect. Yeah. I mean, when you we get to see we, we get to see him doing some of the classic Scrooge lines, Bah humbug, and all that. Right. And we also see him as a little bit of a what you might call a behind-the-scenes
0: Scrooge, like Scrooge <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: his own on, on events, and oh, he's just so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, if uh, the movie is available on Hulu, or you can rent it anywhere, uh, but we're about to get started. I'm paused at. Uh, Twenty-five seconds. Uh, I, it's not really a movie where you have to be right on, you know, cue with us. But uh, we'll be talking about Charles Dickens and uh, and uh, A Christmas Carol, and uh, like last time we did A Christmas Carol, I think two years ago, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked so. about all our favorite versions of that. So. Uh, we'll definitely be bringing that back up, but uh, let's get started. So as always, we're going to do a countdown, three, two, one, press play, and then you guys can press play if you're watching, but if not, uh, you don't have to, there's going to be a broad discussion as always. So let's get into it. Uh, 3, 2, one, play. Okay. Now we're seeing yeah. a pillar coming up, doors, looks like yeah. doors are bleaker street. Yeah. Okay, and uh, you're probably the perfect person to talk to about this because you're a huge uh, Charles Dickens fan, are you not?
1: I am, yes, since I was in ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've found out over the years, and probably everybody knows this, that uh Reading the works of Dickens, maybe reading any classic literature in high school tends to be a very polarizing experience. You talk to people who hated it and and say they were forced to do it, and it just ruined classic literature for them forever. And then you talk to people who loved it, and it, it sparked a lifelong habit. And I was one of the ones who uh, read Great Expectations in ninth grade, loved it, went on to become a Dickens uh, fanatic <laughs> and uh, run a blog about Dickens, and so um, yeah, I I um, I've been a fan for a very long time now.
0: Yeah, and, and um uh, would uh, go would, ahead. Which book would be your favorite of his?
1: I'm a I'm a big fan of A Tale of Two Cities. That's my favorite. Mm. Uh, second favorite, Little Dorrit. Oh, okay. So so we're seeing now. um him giving a speech in America, which is something he did do, and there you you learn a few. This is good storytelling because you learn a few things right away from this opening scene.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, first of all, and, and this is this is uh, I don't know if you call it an Easter egg. It it's it sort of something for the fanatics among us like that that little uh figurine you saw of the sword fighting frogs or whatever it is they're doing that was a real thing that dickens had kept on his desk Mm. Uh, (laughs) a lot of items on his desk that was that was uh one of them and so like right away there's like attention to detail there's attention to accuracy right and in this opening scene you get you get a sense right away a couple things about dickens number one that he had a healthy ego (laughs) which is very true (laughs) and number two that he had a great respect and love for his audience and that is also true Mm. so um i guess you could say these two things are sort of held in tension because i think perhaps the love for his readers and the respect for them and the desire to do something good for them maybe helped keep the healthy ego in check a little bit right. <laughs> and kept him from becoming an absolute monster because as we'll see, I mean, he's, he's a man full of faults, but also he's a man of good impulses and instincts as well. Right. So uh, you, you, I think you get this right from the get go here.
0: Yeah. He, uh, and this is from what I've also read uh, elsewhere, but he wasn't a perfect man like nobody is, but he wanted to be better. And that's, that's the thing. He strove to be as good as he could be.
1: That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and and uh, these these little uh, humorous um, words here. Three flops later. <laughs> and that, <laughs> the writer's life. I don't know what is. I mean, in the first scene, you got all the adulation and the cheering crowds. And now here he is sitting at a desk with writer's block. Mm-hmm. And... I know that feeling. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. And I think this this is a really good depiction of it. Yeah. Um, and you get it throughout the movie, like the whole idea of writer's block and what it's like and how it really, really sucks.
0: <laughs> yeah. And because um, I, I, this, this is something that I've gotten from this movie. The the writer and director, they know what it's like to be a writer. They, know how mm-hmm. to, they, they are good creatives because it shows – Exactly what, you know, a writer and a creative, an artist goes through to create art. So that comes across. They're also very much a Charles Charles Dickens fan. And not just a Charles Dickens fan, but a huge fan of A Christmas Carol, because it comes through uh, how much they must have known about Charles Dickens. And, yes, absolutely. yeah, and it just reminded me him being a writer and like you said, he's got a very healthy ego like any I think any creative does have a kind of a big head and they, it needs to be kept in check because the more your ego grows, the harder it is for a person to write i've uh, <laughs> I've uh, discovered
1: yeah I think that's true. and, um, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I, I can't say my writer's block was ever accompanied by an accordion the way <laughs> the way it <his laughs> is is but right. but other than that yeah I think I think it's it just captures so much of of the experience and um we, we've already talked about Christopher Plummer and we'll get more into that yeah um, Ian Stevens though I'm just the first time I saw this I was just blown away by his performance and mm-hmm. I continue to be Because he gets the energy absolutely right. Dickens was a tremendously energetic man, the kind of man who thought nothing of walking 30 miles at one go um, (laughs) and and frequently did it. Uh, Always, I I mean, the way he's always dashing around, you know, here one minute, gone the next in this movie, it's just exactly how he was. And I think Stevens absolutely nails it. So Mm. I think he, as well as the writer and director, must have really studying
0: dickens carefully yeah and i wa- wanted to bring something up that on- only a person like myself would know because <laughs> uh in the christian world not a lot of people know stuff like this but uh i uh i the uh alistair crowley who was a a magician not not like a you know, like a hocus pocus, like a, you know, an he's, he was into the occult and he tried <laughs> to do magic that way. And he was a Satanist and he was a, a, an insane person. But he said that, uh, and talking about ego, uh, that the horrible thing about the cup of the covenant to the cup of Jesus Christ that you we all partake in is that you die to yourself. So everything belongs to God and you die and nothing belongs to you anymore. And that's horrible. And of course, he was a horrible writer because he was very much <laughs> this big ego. Uh, but like I said, a writer has to kind of tamper down their ego to to get over writer's block, to be a better writer, because they have to kind of humble themselves to do that. And I uh, yeah, I think that uh, and that's one of the dumbest you know things that one of the many dumb things that uh, Alistair Crowley said because as a writer that yeah, dying to yourself is probably a good idea because you need Mm to humble yourself to get those words out because you can never live up to what you think of yourself as a creative. And I think that that's what a big problem is for a lot of, uh, a lot of writers and filmmakers and, you know, artists, you know, even though the greatest, because you have to, you have to have a big ego to do, to be good. I, I think that that's a part of it, but you know, it also keeps you from tapety tap tapping on the on the keyboard.
1: That's a really fascinating perspective. Um, <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, I will probably that for a while because because it, it's um, yeah, it, it's sort of. I mean, what what we've just been saying about the balance and the tension and trying to keep keep the different sides of your nature in check and, and bring some things out and suppress other things. I mean, that, that fits perfectly with that. That's really interesting.
0: And I'm sorry. I hope that's not insulting to say that. Oh, you, cause you've written several books and no. I'm <laughs> saying that you have a big ego, but I do think really- all writers, all creatives do. And I don't think that that's yeah. a, something wrong, but you know, it, it is something that exists.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, and, and Dickens in particular, and and people always say things like this with many caveats, caveats like you you shouldn't um, diagnose people you don't know, sure. and so especially Victorians like who lived centuries ago, and and so forth and so on. But there is a uh, always adding those caveats. People have often speculated that Dickens was bipolar. Mm. Uh, if you if you make a close study of his life, even if you trace some things in his works, there are just lots of signs. I mean, the huge energy and then the huge depression, and you'll see later in this, um, his wife Catherine says something about there are two of you, mm, <laughs> and, yeah. and um, you know that the writer, the screenwriter, may have been touching on some of that speculation because, it, it, again, knowing how how tricky and ill-advised it may be to try to, to, you know, overanalyze or over-psychologize or diagnose somebody from a, a distance of time. It still, it just seems like it, it may have been a possibility.
0: Yeah. And, oh, and I should also mention, um, in this t- talking about earlier in the film, he was giving a, a talk, he was performing on stage Uh, That's something that a lot of writers did. That was like kind of a common thing. And in fact, uh, like, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, Oh, I just had his name. Uh, Oscar Wilde actually invented stand-up that way. Because he (laughs) would do these, you know, performances. But his were very funny. Oh, and here we have a really important moment here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Go
1: ahead. You mean the collecting of the names?
0: The collecting of the names, yeah. You know, he he just found, uh, you know, a waiter came to take their order, they're at a restaurant, and uh, his name is Marley. This older gentleman, very tall, old, you know, gentleman. And he writes down the name Marley, because as an artist, you're constantly getting ideas and inspiration. Yes.
1: Yes, and and now he's talking to Thackeray, who um, <clears throat> I looked up Thackeray before we got on the phone just to just to brush up my memory a little bit. Um, Thackeray wasn't hadn't written Vanity Fair, his greatest work just yet. Mm. So what we have here is is a uh, Thackeray who um, was already a writer, and, and he was reviewing books a lot, and so this. This may be one of some of the reasons he's making Dickens twitch here, because <laughs> he probably reviewed some of his earlier books and found them wanting. And and um, they did in real life have this sort of very up and down relationship, you know, <laughs> um, sort of stormy. And um, as creative we, we, we do, have
0: for, you know, reviewers. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And we do know that Thackeray was envious of Dickens power. Uh, as he called it, he 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 was known to complain to somebody somebody that you know no other writer stands a chance <laughs> against <laughs> this kind of power. So um, when we see him come in and snipe at Dickens here, there there were there were reasons for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, sometimes. Sometimes I hate the, oh, you're just jealous argument because that is so overused and so oh, yeah <laughs> and not always fair. But in this case, yes. <laughs> <That's accurate> with...
0: <laughs> and let me ask. So uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's, you know, like we said, he's walking on stage to lots of fanfare. Uh, and that was after Oliver Twist, if I remember right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he had three flops. Oh, do you know what those may have been or what they are or, and w- would you consider them lesser works of his?
1: Um, personally, I would. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think people would. Uh, the books are um, Barnaby Rudge, Martin Chuzzlewit, and the non-fictional American Notes, which he wrote after his American tour. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, they're good. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they're all good. They have very good things in them. Each of them has, well, the, the two novels, the two fictional works, especially have, have some very memorable characters, um, even iconic characters, I would say. Hmm. But, um, he just wrote so many books that were better than those. <laughs> and, um, I, I, he was trying different things. Barnaby Rudge was the first time he ever tried to write a historical novel. Um, it, Set, I think. Oh gosh, I don't remember. Set maybe a century or two before his own time. Uh, Martin Chuzzlewit had sex instead in America, Um, and so, yeah, that they were, they they kind of did flop. And um, and but but he was he did try to do some some good things in them. Um, His what he wrote about America the americans were not happy with because uh he was pretty frank he he he, uh you know he was frank about slavery which he got some glimpses of Mm -hmm. um and the he, he had sort of gone to america very idealistically you know expecting to see this land of freedom and everything and then he saw slavery and he saw he saw like customs that he didn't like and he was pretty straightforward about them and Americans weren't keen on that <laughs> and yeah. so he sort of shot himself in the foot a little bit <laughs> um yeah <laughs> but he um yeah so so he did have uh, he did sort of have his his struggles his flops I think he was still you, you know he he published his novels serially so I think he was still in the middle of Martin Chuzzlewit when he broke off to work on A Christmas Carol. Mm. But um, I think I think enough of Martin Chuzzlewit had been published by this time that they knew it was going to flop or, <laughs> or it was it was being a flop. Right. Relative for him.
0: And, so, uh, and yeah, you uh, one of the books you've written, uh, The Gospel in Dickens. Mm-hmm.
2: It,
0: he was very much inspired by the goodness, the you know, the the charity that the Bible talks about. And uh, I can I can imagine him going to America, this land of, uh, you know, milk and honey, this uh, land of opportunity, and then seeing what the people actually live like. And yeah. just seeing, and it, especially in his own home country, he just had such a heart for those who struggled and who didn't okay. have, you know, the have-nots as, you know, yeah. And it just seemed like it, and it obviously comes through in uh, in A Christmas Carol and other works of his, especially.
1: Right, right. And, and another thing that went wrong was he had gone to America hoping to make the case for better copyright laws because his works were pirated so much, and mm. especially in America. And, and one of the big themes in this movie is that he sim- simultaneously was lavish with his money and kind of terrified all the time that the money would run out Mm. (laughs) uh he he had his scrooge-like uh moments and we're we're gonna see more about that but um so so he went to america and was like can we can i please have stronger copyright laws to protect my work but to help help make sure i get uh fair compensation and they were like nah (laughs) so (laughs) so he was pretty open about his disappointment with that too now we're getting the the movie is getting a little bit into um, some issues of fatherhood. We just saw uh, Kate tell Charles that uh, another baby is on the way that they would eventually have 10. Um, Mm. And that now we see Dickens sort of dreaming about and remembering his own father. And that's just a whole can of worms, (laughs) (laughs) a whole, a whole fraught uh, relationship. Yeah. So, um, but, but I like how this is all juxtaposed together. We, we see his, his sort of, uh, torment over his own relationship with his father. And then we see him, uh, come and be silly for with his children for a bit. Right. And, um, so the, the, there's just all kinds of, uh, <laughs> all kinds of family issues going on here. Yeah. But, uh, this is a cute moment. <laughs> um, and, and now the, the housemaid, Tara, we saw her telling the children a story. This is a fictional character, but we do know that uh, when Dickens was a child, he had a nursemaid who used to tell him scary stories and uh, scare the life out of him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think there's like a, a grain of truth there. I think they maybe were, going, were touching on that.
0: Mm. Yeah, because um, A Christmas Carol is often made uh, into a children's, you know, for children, and mm-hmm. is often seen as like because it's a, especially because it's a Christmas story. It's very uh, you know uh, it's fun and you know silly at times, but it is quite terrifying. Yeah, it, it really can be. Really, I mean the the ghosts are kind of really scary, especially what the you know, and made more scary by the fact that this could happen to you. What happens to Scrooge? Mm-hmm. You know that he could possibly end up dead and, you know, burning in hell, as it implies. hmm oh, Yeah. And Marley, especially that, you know, carrying the chains. It's just, yeah. And then, see, like I, I mentioned before, uh, looking not every, I think very few uh, Christmas Carol adaptations show the scene where he looks out the window and he sees, you know, go uh, like tons of ghosts carrying chains of different, you know, Someone mm-hmm. being held down to the ground, unable to walk. And mm-hmm. because everything you do connects another link in your chain that you must carry in in death. And yeah. it, it's just a terrifying scene to uh, to read.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, I think, honestly, I think one of the scariest depictions of Marley that I ever saw was in the Disney version with Jim Carrey. Have you seen that one, the, the sort of like animated one? Oh, yeah. Um, where he actually, not not all versions show this, but they've got where Marley's chin drops all the way down on his chest when he unties the rag from oh, his head. yeah. That, the way the Disney version freaked me out like no other. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, in, in this sweet Christmas story, there are some genuinely horrifying moments. <laughs> I mean, that's taken directly from the book. Yeah. But when you see, like, holy cow, I didn't want to see that. <laughs> So, um, we just had a a short scene where somebody, um, a a stranger sort of took Dickens to task for writing about poor people, prostitutes, all all those sorts of things. And that, that's, um, that's true. He did get that sort of flack. I mean, he got so much of it that he wrote a preface to a later edition of Oliver Twist saying, you know, this is drawn from life. Um, Nancy, the prostitute and Oliver Twist, um, you know, there are real women like her going through things like she goes through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I can only say that it's it's these sorts of things really happen. And um, it's fascinating to think about, you know, we're having a lot of debates and discussions right now about what should be in school libraries and what shouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I. I'm, I've am i never been one to argue that like you should hand a 10 year old say Stephen King's it. I mean, I don't think you should. <laughs> that there, I think there should be like a few, a few, um, you know, thoughtfully set boundaries and so forth. But I really don't like the the turn that things have taken lately where, I mean, it's just, it's just gotten completely out of hand when you have like, you have some school board saying, saying, well, or when you have some congressman saying, you know, go through your school libraries and send us all these books. We want to look at them. We want to make sure. And it's, it's gotten completely right out of hand. It's got some very troubling historical precedents. Yeah. Um. And it, it's, it's gotten very broad and sweeping. I mean, some of the books I've seen named are books that I've read and there's like nothing wrong with them at all from any perspective of any sane person. And it's just like, you know, we will never stop having this debate. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's, uh, you know, the the people the people that are arguing, well, get all books that deal with race out of schools. Well, I mean, Dickens would have said uh, Dickens was not uh, what we might call an enlightened man today uh, in his attitudes toward race. He he um, he was the man of his time. He had some good instincts and he had some bad ones there. But I think mm-hmm. if he saw what was going on now, and and the reasons people are saying, you know, don't read this book in schools, he'd say, you're nuts. Because I mean, if you if you're going to read a Christmas Carol or Great Expectations in school or or Oliver Twist, you're going to have prostitutes, murderers, thieves, sin. Uh, basically, yeah. you're going to be depicted sin and and people you don't want to think about and people you you uh, try to avoid in real life, but you're going to get it in Dickens and you're going to get it in modern novels too. And so this is just an issue that keeps going. And uh, it, it, if, you, if you're all for reading classics in schools, then you should have a much broader perspective on this sort of thing. And you should you should be aware that, you know, it's basically the same subject matter at bottom.
0: Yeah. And the, the, the I think a really sad part about that is that it's almost like, they're not trying to get rid of books because there's something wrong with them. It's they're Mm -hmm. making, they're putting books on lists as a statement, you know, Mm -hmm. as a reactionary statement, there's something going on in the country. I'm on this side of the line in that. And so let's get rid of these books to, you know, to kind of stick it to the other side as opposed to, Hey, there's something really wrong here, which again, that probably that's no reason to get rid of a book either just because there might be a problem with, with what, you know, what's in the, in a book, but to, to just do that, to make a decision like that, to get rid of a book as to kind of, to, to, I don't know, to make a statement. is just really, really hurt. It's, it's, it's ignorant. There's just such stupidity in that decision.
1: Yes, it, it's very troubling. I mean, if we could have thoughtful conversations about this sort of thing, and, and there already are like procedures in place where, where a parent can tell the librarian, I'd rather my child didn't read like this kind of depiction of sex until she gets older or something like that. Okay, that's fine. That sure. procedure is in place. But, but this is something altogether different. I mean, this is like gangs going to school board meetings and screaming at people and threatening people and, and, and using books for that purpose and making it all about books, is just, uh, there's something just like really deeply disturbing about all yeah. that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, to pick a, something that happened is like the Texas Senate uh, said that you don't yeah. have to teach, you know, took off the uh, the must read list or, you know, that you're, you, you don't have to teach certain topics like about civil rights and about things like that. Which, you know, the argument, you know, and people defend it saying, no, they're not saying you're not allowed to. It's just, it's just not, you don't have to. But just making that decision is a statement. They're doing that to make a statement about race and history. And it's really, really sad that they even had to do that. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah.
1: It's, it's terribly sad and, and disturbing. And um, but anyway, to, to tie it back to the movie again, <laughs> right, right. this this conversation stemmed from from like a, a very little moment, but I think in the movie, but I think it was a very important moment, a, a significant one. I, I don't think I think there was a purpose for including it because right. it's just I mean, it's at the heart of what Dickens did. You said it a couple times now he was. He was passionately concerned for poor people, and um, he was he was going to write about that. Um, he he gave he gave to them in his personal life, but also he was going to bring them to the attention of his readers. That he was going to use that influence he had.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I, I think he's he strikes me as one of the the principal. Um, examples of how you can you can incorporate things like that in your work and not be preaching because i mean he had he had his moments where he got went a little over the top but but he wasn't he wasn't being preachy because he really believed this this was part of who he was and it just sort of overflowed in, in his writings right um and and to, <laughs> and to to uh take a quick uh turn here I, th- this scene <clears throat> and another way you can tell that um the writer and director really knew dickens is they incorporate so much from his other works into this movie this scene right here is very bleak house um (laughs) where he's sort of like talking about a lawsuit that he was hoping to win people pirating his work again and he won the lawsuit but there was uh no money left so he didn't get anything (laughs) that's very bleak house that that which would come like a few books after a Christmas Carol, yeah. but uh, they, they sort of took that scene and put it in here and it, it really works well. Um, and it's interesting that the, the lawyer here, uh, says something like, well, they have no money, so you'll make nothing out of them, but we can, we can throw them into debtor's prison. And Dickens is like, no, don't do that. Because as angry as he was about the piracy and as much as he had hoped to get something out of this, um, he wasn't willing for them to be thrown into debtor's prison. And, and that's sort of a sign of how much he hates the debtor's prison, right. so how much he has to hate them and how he doesn't want any part of that.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, that notion that, uh, they did something wrong. These people did something wrong and they do deserve to pay for what they've done if, because they broke the law and they hurt another person, you know, financially, but, at the end of the day that doesn't matter and that's where like some of the gospel comes in to to you know to his, his ideas and his work even that yeah we're all guilty of something and and grace and forgiveness is kind of uh you know we're incumbent to have grace for other people because we've right. been shown that's grace true. ourselves
1: Right. That's a good point. Uh, let me just ask you real quick. Are you hearing a lot of noise at my end? Because, um, I think they're mowing or something outside.
0: I'm not, it's not coming through.
1: Okay, good. I just wanted to check that. You can edit that part out if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) I I just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a good example of the grace that's sort of woven into the story and the character. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, just, just real quick, um, we haven't talked about Forster much yet. His, his friend Forster here, but he is, uh, I, I enjoy his character here. He was a real person. He's a very faithful and loyal friend who did a lot for, for Dickens. And um, so I, I, that's just, <clears throat> that's a moment. Or not, not a moment. That's a character and a theme I enjoy here. The way that that friendship is portrayed. <laughs> And here now we see Dickens trying to hit on the right name for a character and like throwing his whole self into it. Yeah,
0: like literally acting out what the character, you know, how the character would act, and then trying to get a a name that would fit that kind of. And it's really funny. him throwing himself on the floor and and, the, and yeah. the maids having to come in, you know, to ask him, you know, I forget what uh, what they would what they want to know, but uh, they're kind of. Almost like choosing straws as to kind of who gets yeah. <laughs> to go go in and help him, and right. you know the character that we mentioned before, uh, she drew the short straw, so to speak.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> the um, and here, <clears throat> this is cute. Here, here's where she pulls out her little book um barney the vampire and this is a real book (laughs) i have not read it the the title makes me giggle i just think barney the vampire is such a goofy name yeah but but this was was a book and and one of the earliest um known vampire novels i guess i think it was a novel like a serially published novel or something Hmm. and um i um there was a back in the days Live journal. my gosh. I, <laughs> there was a blogger named Cleo Linda that I used to, to read a pop culture blogger and she used to have, she, she read, uh, Barney the vampire and sort of reviewed it and had a lot of fun with it. So <laughs> I always get a chuckle out of, uh, Barney. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think that this is also a wonderful thing. He just, uh, you know, he, he loves and kind of a thing that I try to talk a lot about is this being a Christian podcast and doing a thing about movies is an artist loves the art form that they're working in. You know, mm-hmm. here we have Charles Dickens picking out a book based on, you know, the the book that she was reading. Oh, if you like that, then let me give, let me, you know, introduce you to this book because sure. you'll love it because it has all the elements that this has, but, you know, and kind of recommending something for her to read, which is something great that uh, that he does for her because she probably can't afford you know, the library of books that you would like.
1: Right. Yeah. And um, he, here he is back to <clears throat> trying to get his his uh, character name. And of course, we all know what the, <laughs> the character name is going to be, but it, it, it's fun to watch him do it. Right. And um, this right here is my favorite moment in the whole movie because the name comes and just that confident smile on his face and the character appears because yeah. the moment the name comes, he knows the character will be there and he turns around and there he is. And it's just so perfect. And so here is Christopher Plummer, as we were saying before, um, being absolutely wonderful in this role. <laughs> yeah. And that immediately they're playing a word association game, which is, <laughs> which I find kind of, kind of fun. Yeah. And, um, so he's trying to get to he, – he's he's come up with the name. He's conjured the character out of thin air. Now he has to sort of get to know him. And, and again, um, this is something that creatives do. And Now, now I've never been a fiction writer. Um, that's not true. I've wrote a little bit of fan fiction in my time, <laughs> I admit. <laughs> but I've never really been a proper fiction writer. And uh, I sort of wish I could be because – Um, I mean, it sounds like a really cool experience, but what in some ways, in other ways, it sounds like a grueling experience, but, (laughs) but fiction writers do talk about characters sort of taking over and and having a life of their own like this. And, um, and, and so this is sort of, this movie sort of gives you a very concrete depiction of that sort of thing and, and how it must feel in the novelist's head.
0: Right. And like that's kind of a thing that uh, a good writer would do is they develop a character so well that eventually the character tells you what they would do. So as you're Mm -hmm. writing, you know, anybody would have the, you know, the impulse to tell, like, you know, to want the story to go a particular way. And I think that this is Mm. a problem within Christian films that they are trying to tell you a story. They're trying to give you a message And so they make their characters do something and it kind of falls apart because they're trying to make sure that this happens so that the audience learns a lesson when it becomes more nuanced and more important and more in kind of a more intelligent story. If the character takes a life of their own and then Mm. they decide for themselves. And again, we're talking about a fictional character. But if you develop a real character, they tell you what they would do. And they make their own decisions, sort of, based on the the traits that you have given to them. If you just make a character evil for the sake of being evil, then there's no nuance there. But, and this is something that they tell actors, if you're going to play an evil character, they have to believe that they are on the right side. They're doing something good. And they're driven by that. And we see it as evil and what they're doing is bad, but they're not the villain in their own story. And that's how you mm. should play a character. And that's how you should write a character. Not just being evil for the sake of being evil, but being evil because they believe they're doing what's right.
1: Mm. That's an excellent point. Um, I had never I had never quite thought of it that way. I mean, about that particular issue with um, a lot of contemporary Christian storytelling. I, I hadn't thought of it. I mean, like I said, I, I'd heard fiction writers talk about characters doing what they want, but I had never put that particular issue in those particular terms that's very interesting um so here we see his father again uh jonathan price who's very good also Mm -hmm. and an interesting thing is that uh dickens put aspects of his father into various books that he wrote um mr micoper and david copperfield is pretty clearly known to be based on Dickens' father and he is a he's a lovable character I mean he's got all kinds of issues he can't stay out of the the debtor's prison or the poorhouse. house <laughs> um, he, he spends far too lavishly he's very grandiloquent he talks all the time he can't stop talking but he's lovable and he's kind and so that's that's one depiction of, of Dickens' father and then in Little Dorrit you get uh, William Dorrit, who is weak and selfish, and also can't stay out of debtor's prison, mm. and um, just not what you would want in a good father. And so that's, but that he's also known to be based on Dickens' father. So it's fascinating. Y- you know, you 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 always hear you're not supposed to um, confuse the author's life with the author's work, but at the same time, you can see very clear influences, and it's interesting that he could. He was aware of so many different aspects of one person that he could make them like a good character in one book and a not so good character in a different
0: book. Hmm, yeah.
1: By the way, I would kill for this office. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> I, I, love, I love all the bookshelves and I love the way those stairs go up. Uh, we saw him running up the stairs earlier. Right. And the little fireplace and just all of it.
0: here we have the father uh you know he father came to visit and uh, you know kind of not not the best person not not making the best decisions but it's based on the fact that he has no money and Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's kind of really sad and of course this son having to take care of his father is you know it can get frustrating it's 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 almost the idea of uh of uh, feeding a, a person's addiction or something, you know, you they can't take mm. care of themselves, but the more you give them, the more they, you know, they continue to, you know, do bad, make bad decisions. You're only kind of mm. funding that, but there's also the, and I think that that's something that, uh, that becomes a problem, especially very difficult for Christians is this notion. And the, Oh, here's the introduction of Marley. Mhm.
1: Yes, yes, um, and, and a very striking introduction. Um, and, and <laughs> I love the look on Dickens' face here, too. This is this is more a look of shock and, <laughs> and surprise and uh, maybe a little bit of awe, almost, to see what his imagination has conjured up. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels almost like something going on outside his mind here, the way that this is depicted, but it's very much his own creation. Yeah. And so... And so already he's got his creations, his two creations sort of um, interacting with each other Mm -hmm. and uh, just back here all kind of nervous and tense. And Marley is just sort of lurching to life like Frankenstein. Right. And uh, so at, at this point, the ideas are really starting to take over, starting to flow, starting to do their own thing.
0: yeah and yeah it's really great how they do it because it's almost like dickens is now asking the character about himself so he's almost this is a I love about this movie is it's showing the process the creative process of mm-hmm. in a way that makes us understand how it works you, you know mm-hmm. he creates a character and he's asking the character so what you know he's asking marley what about these chains what are these chains and he's explaining marley is explaining to dickens what, you know, where these chains come from, and so it's, you know, you can almost see in in his mind, oh, like what are these chains about? Like, you, and he's developing these ideas of it, and the characters informing him of how they, how they came to be, and it's just wonderful, a great depiction of all of this.
1: Hmm. I mean, it it ta- it it's it takes a real talent to make the process visible like this <laughs> um, and it's wonderful just the way that it all plays out and, and all the different layers and dimensions there are to it and um, and we're starting to get the feel too that there really is a connection between Dickens and Scrooge and it's not just because Dickens created Scrooge <laughs> it's right. because that, that Scrooge is a side of himself. Mm-hmm. And, and and we're going to see that the, the stinginess of Scrooge and the generosity of the Ghost of Christmas Present, for example, are both parts of Dickens. They both come from him and they're both aspects of his, his own personality. Um, but here we see uh, the memory of when uh, young Charles Dickens' father was arrested for debt right and so he did he did spend time in um debtors prison and um his son who saw who was there for all of this um is still obviously very much haunted by it and we see that this tension is still there mm-hmm. and but we also see how much dickens takes after his father he has so much of his father in him right and so, maybe that makes it even <laughs> even mm-hmm. more tense because um it's so difficult to actually separate himself. and um, and also perhaps because I mean, Dickens is just as as lavish with money, but he has the discipline and the drive and the talent to always earn more to make up for it. sure. Yeah. And, it's, it and so and so there's like maybe a little bit of a feeling, well, I've made it work but he didn't make it work. So why couldn't he make it work? So so yeah there's like all these all these feelings and all these tensions going on.
0: Mhm. And he finds yeah very difficult to have any empathy for his for his father. And it's mm-hmm. it's really like yeah, like there's a scrooge in all of us, I guess that's the corny way of putting it, but uh yeah, it becomes yeah. really hard. And we talk about this a lot, scrooge and like a character like Potter, you know, in uh, Potter in Mr Potter in uh, it's a wonderful life it, mm-hmm. he's not an evil man you know he's just you know he he says to uh to uh what's his name I can't believe I don't remember the name uh in uh, in the, it's, it's a wonderful life um the, George the, the, Bailey George Bailey yeah he says something something to the effect that I was like you once I was you know and Mr. Potter is greedy for a reason. He became this way because of things that happened in his life. And of course, we don't know what they are and they don't explain it in the movie, but you can almost picture he's in a wheelchair and now he's bitter and he's angry and now he wants to make as much money as possible at the expense of others. And you see it, you know, shown in a Christmas carol how Scrooge became the man that he became. He wasn't, he's not a monster. He's very human, but he became this character because of what happened in his life and mm-hmm. that's how you become empathetic to him you know mm-hmm. he, you, it's easy to hate Scrooge but then and the beauty of Charles Dickens and what he writes is he became this way and you become empathetic for this horrible person
1: yes exactly exactly and um, he he here we're getting the scene with um, the artist, Leech, and we're, we're getting a sense of the pressure of the deadlines. And that, that's another aspect of uh, the, um, the creative process we haven't talked much about yet, but it's very present. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, the pressure of deadlines, of like what, what he's trying to do is almost impossible, really. He, he's trying to create this story um, and get it published in a very, very tight time frame, and, um, and and do it lavishly as he tends to do things. And you know, if you didn't know how this whole story was going to end, you might think it was going to end very, very badly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because because and, and you know, he he got into this to start a sort of prop up his finances but now things are spinning out of control and and it's starting to cost him money Mm. um (laughs) so um here we see dickens with his sister and her family they had a close relationship and it's true that uh dickens drew on his own disabled nephew to create uh the character of tiny tim right and uh i do believe um I, I do believe the nephew died young, which, which makes <laughs> which makes the the um fact that Tiny Tim didn't die young all the that that, that sort of adds some poignancy to it mm, for me yeah. that that he wanted to make that turn out better than it actually eventually would.
0: Right, and I I, I don't know like uh, this whole notion of you know and you write about it in the Gospel and Dickens how much. You know, he learned, I mean, how much he learned from the Bible about empathy and compassion and uh, charity and love. And it's just, it comes through. Yeah. I I mean, without actually, you know, preaching the gospel, which it kind of, it mentions it, but how A Christmas Carol is very much a Christian book. You know, it has all the trademarks of, of forgiveness and, and compassion and grace. For people who may not deserve it, but you know, you kind of—I don't know—you you you kind of—it's impossible not to not to learn from it, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: yeah, and it's full of hope, which um, which really is a Christian virtue. We know um, from from um, you know that now remain these three: faith, hope, and love. It's very much a Christian virtue, and and just just believing that someone can change. And that's, that's talked about a little bit here. The, um, in this case, it's, it's Tara, the the maid who gets to say it, but, but just the, the belief that a person can change, Mm -hmm. um, is, and hope is a Christian virtue. So, um, it's, it's just, um, yeah, his, his mind was, was very much, uh, steeped in scripture and, and, uh, beliefs like that and here we here we get uh tara playing uh the ghost of christmas past i, I like the the sort of double casting stuff that goes on here mm-hmm. um later we'll see forster as <laughs> as the ghost of christmas present <laughs> and uh, it, it again aspects of the creative process i, I think sometimes that there are just a few times for me when the movie gets a little bit maybe too on the nose sure. when it comes to the <laughs> of of taking creating characters from real life because you you literally get people walking by him in the street saying these lines that he's later gonna use and yeah okay sometimes maybe that happens but um, sometimes it seems like okay you have to give give a little room for him to come up with some of these things by himself yeah. but um, but it's true I mean he did collect names I believe Scrooge's name came off a gravestone as a matter of fact mm. that he saw um. And so he did collect names, and he did he did draw on real life characters. Um, but yeah, so sometimes just having like everything come from like people he's talking to, it's like saying, okay, let's not go overboard with this.
0: Yeah, and we see the beginning here of like you know his father being taken off to debtor's prison, and so now mm-hmm. he had you know Charles as a child has to work in a factory and it's really, really hard to, to watch. It's mm-hmm. really sad.
1: Yeah. That, that was, that was, um, maybe the formative episode of his life. And the strange thing is he never told anybody while he was alive. He told maybe a handful of people, his own children didn't know. Wow. Um, he told his wife, he told Forrester, maybe a few others. Mm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, And it seems so strange to us now because if you study Dickens at all, if you read Dickens, if you read anything at all about Dickens, that pops up that he, when he was a child, he he was sent to work in a blacking factory Mm. and that it was very hard and, you know, almost broke his spirit. But people in his own time had no idea. So there was this huge discrepancy between how deeply it affected him the influence it had over his life and his work, and how much people knew about it at the time.
0: It, it, was it that he was ashamed of it?
1: I think maybe that was part of it. Um, I think that it was such a depressing time in his life that he just didn't want to think about it, even though it, it he couldn't help it. He put it into David Copperfield. Um, I mean, he has that same thing happen to the character um and it was a that's a pretty autobiographical novel so basically he wrote he talked about it without talking about it he he was yeah. like here it is here's this awful thing that happened to me but he didn't actually say it happened to him so people didn't actually quite realize it he did he did write a little bit of a memoir that he never published during his lifetime and he gave it to forster hmm. and he wrote that he wrote down that episode in that fragment. But again, it wasn't published at the time. And so, again, Forster knew, but hardly anybody else did. Oh. <clears throat> so it, it was like it was always with him. It always haunted him. He couldn't get rid of it, but he couldn't actually quite bring himself to say the words. So it, it just sort of. The, uh, <sighs> I think the 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 thing about it was. He he was afraid during that time that this was going to be his life and he was never going to get an education. And he longed for education. He loved school. He loved books. Sure. And he yeah. thought he was never going to get a chance for an education again. And it depressed him. It terrified him. And I think those feelings were so strong that um, it made this that time in his life really painful to revisit.
0: Mm and uh, yeah and, like this idea must be so terrifying because he's almost buying things to to make himself or to make other people think that he he's not broke and so it right. becomes this cycle right. where he's spending money that he doesn't have or he's wasting the money that he does have and and hoping that he can get a, a you know a, a hit in his next work because mm-hmm. he, th- his three last books failed and you know and you know, like they showed in the beginning of the movie, he's kind of he's signing these little pieces of paper to kind of try to make more money, you know, mm-hmm. by, by selling his signature. And I forget how they were, like, I think they're supposed to go inside his books.
1: Well, that's it, it was kind of... his father, actually, that was, yeah, his, oh, his father that's was, right. was doing that. Yeah, his father was selling uh, Charles's signature and, and, um, I think Charles finds this deeply humiliating. It's also almost like his father is selling little pieces of himself. And that's just one more reason for the tension. This thing that he's doing here, um, acting out characters in the mirror is a thing that, that um, he used to do for real. His his children would see him and hear him acting out in front of the mirror, like sometimes for hours, Mm. (laughs) acting out all these stories with these characters. It was like he needed to be able to see it. And hear it in order to make it real on the page.
0: Right. And I kind of missed it there—the the gentle the, the the woman and the gentleman dancing in his mind. The characters. Uh, was that Fizzywig? Yes. Yes. Oh, is that? Yeah,
1: and, and again, we, we sort of trace the whole process be, because, um, like. People, he, he picks up these ideas from people on the street, he, he, he sort of comes home, he thinks about it, he acts things out in the mirror, and then he starts to see people, like, appearing and so forth. Um, and um, here's just a quick shot of uh, Catherine again, and and that reminds me, I wanted to bring up that another good thing this movie does is show you what it's like to be married to a, to a creative (laughs) and how it's not a bed of roses. (laughs) Um, We're seeing her be very uh, patient with it all. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not easy. (laughs) And and his spending habits, you know, both his spending habits and then his, his stingier impulses, you know, it it all affects her and um, his, you know, shutting himself up alone in his office and shouting and screaming, it all affects her. She has to deal with all of this and running the household and so forth. And it's not easy. We we don't know a ton about Catherine. We know some things about her, but, but, um, I mean, whatever she was like, she, she would have had to put up with all this. (laughs) And, And, and they do ask you to, to sympathize with her in that. And, um, here we get the the ghost of uh, Christmas Present mm-hmm. and the cratchits and things are just really cooking now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the story is just really humming along, and um, and um, Scrooge is sort of giving his commentary on all of it, mm-hmm. and, and Scrooge is really taking on such a life of his own now, yeah. um, and just you, he doesn't. Scrooge at this point really doesn't want to change. He's sort of enjoying his tormenting his creator a little bit. He's, <laughs> he's sort of enjoying being a stubborn stick in the mud. right. Um, and he's not he's not really interested in the idea of change at all. He, he's having more fun sort of being being uh, the thorn in the side.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, and you were mentioning there's a movie that I want to do called Mother. And it's really dark. It's really, and it's supposed to be about Mother Nature, you know. I, I, I remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be about, like, nature and how, it's basically, Javier uh, Bardem plays God, and uh, the, the female character, forget the uh, who played her, but plays Mother Earth. And God, God creates, you know, invites people into his home. She's kind of building this home, and uh, he and, you know, the, You know, Javier Bardem invites people into the home and then they they start destroying the house as Mother Nature tries to build it. And uh, but it's also about the creative process, I think, that, uh, you know, he because the, the, the Javier Bardem character is a poet and he writes poetry and he wants he wants people to love him. And she loves him, loves his poetry also. But and there's a moment when she says, "But I like I like your poetry too," and he says, "Oh, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know you do." But it doesn't matter as much from coming from her as it does coming from other people, people that don't know mm-hmm. him. And so, yeah, I mean, just I'm sure she loves and appreciates all his stories, and probably why she fell in love with him, how creative he was, and you know. But uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't change the fact that he has, you know, she has to also put up with the process of trying to, you know, create these stories and then having to deal with the fact that he might, you know, how depressed he was when he failed. How, you know, it's 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 got to be like you mentioned. It's got to be. It had to have been very difficult.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and, um, and just his his. um for, for all the discipline he has in his, in his uh, writing and, and pushing through with it, um, he doesn't have a lot of restraint <laughs> in his, mm-hmm. his manner, the way he acts. And, and so, oh uh, and here we see the creative process working backwards a little bit, because first remember he envisioned uh, the ghost of Christmas present as looking something like Forster, And now we see Forster posing <laughs> for the character <laughs> for the and being a very obliging friend, which is sweet. Yeah. And, um, so, but that's an interesting variation there on on the process we've been talking about. We've we've seen it working one way, and then we see it going in the other direction, where with sort of life imitating art. And so, there's just like all kinds of um, interesting insights here on. How it all works, and here comes Scrooge again to tease him <laughs> and be <Yeah>. mean <laughs> and be Scrooge
2: like.
0: There's a yeah. There's an ad in the window of a bookstore saying that uh, a Christmas story by Charles Dickens. Order now, like pre-order now, and he's having trouble finishing it. <laughs> so
1: and here comes the panic, yeah. <laughs> and even his own characters are are pressuring him in his mind, and and this is getting really, really um, scary yeah. <laughs> for him, and real, real really um, intense.
0: Yeah. And you see this in, in, I mean, I'm sure it happens with you. I'm sure you can churn out a book in no time. I'm sure that you can just put words to paper and just finish it. But it, you want it to be good. You want it to mm-hmm. be as good as possible. And so, and I've seen it like, uh, you know, in the, you know, in cooking shows, for example, when a great chef, you know, when something they do doesn't come out well, he's like, "I'm not going to give it, give it to to a customer because that's mm-hmm. my name. That's good. That's going mm-hmm. out, out there. That's I want to give them as good as I can. You know. Yeah, and, so- it, they might enjoy it, but it's not. It's not as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah. I'm sure, Dickens. He's not. He's not struggling to find you know the words to put on the page. He's struggling to do a good job
1: yeah yeah and um and he knows that he can he knows he has it in him he's done it before right but i think it the issue is can i do it again (laughs) can i live up to what i've done before can i do even better than i've done before yeah that that ego
0: that i brought up before mm
1: mm-hmm yeah and, and the constant need to sort of like test your current self against your past self (laughs) and to, and to say like, have I still got it? Um, or is is this particular episode of writer's block going to be the last? Is this going to be it for me? So yeah, that's
0: terrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, And the interesting thing is even if he had never written anything, but Oliver Twist, I think he would be remembered as a great novelist. Mm-hmm. But he has so many more great books in him. and and, and um I, I guess all all writers are different. Like you get somebody like Emily Bronte who produces um like a little poetry and one great novel, and um, she's made it makes her immortal. But then you get people who turn out like, so many great novels (laughs) and 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 it's it's fascinating how every writer is different and some people some want to keep pushing themselves and some don't and some can't it's there's so many varieties of experience um here he is arguing with tara over the fate of tiny tim and i often find myself taking tara's role in conversations like these (laughs) where um i'm like no this character can change there is hope um you know it's you, you, there, there's goodness in this person, and um, I, I often find myself arguing, you know, yeah. on social media or elsewhere <laughs> with people who take the the gloomier view, and um, but I tend to. I don't know if it's the Christian in me, or the sentimentalist in me, or the, just the stubborn person in me, or maybe a little bit of all three, right. but but I, I'm usually the one who's, who's arguing for that, unless the person has been, like, completely, completely horrendous, yeah. um, and then I'm like, okay, I don't want a redemption story for this person, I want this person <laughs> To, to pay the piper, um, right. but a lot of times I, I really do want to to um, to see that redemption, that change happen. Well, yeah,
0: you you've watched uh, maybe too many Frank Capra movies. <laughs>
1: that's... <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe it's the Capraite in yeah.
0: me. <laughs> but 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 that was a wonderful scene where yeah, Tara was like no, like because in the movie he the, the originally Tiny Tim dies. And Tara is really upset by this. She's like, no, he can't die. He's like, oh yeah, well that, that happens though. And he's like, but you know, Scrooge has to save him. And even Scrooge, who is like, you know, the manifestation of Scrooge in the background says, wait, me? Why do I have to save yeah. Tiny <laughs> Tim? And
1: as mentioned, our Scrooge is being especially evil right now and doesn't, is not interested in hope and change and redemption for himself, but Tara is for him. Right. And, uh, and he's going to have some influence and here here we see the parents again and dickens being very upset with them and um an interesting little departure from reality here mm-hmm. that that is that dickens was actually more resentful toward his mother than his father wow. i mean he, he did have all these issues with his father that we're seeing but his mother um after he was the 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 family got an inheritance after some time and they His father was able to leave debtor's prison and his, he he was finally able to leave the blacking warehouse and go back to school, which he had longed for. Mm. And at that point, his mother said, well, why don't we just send him back to work and he can earn some more money. And, Dickens never forgot that and he never forgave her for it. Mm. I mean, he he went on like being trying to be the dutiful son and taking care of them as we see, but he never forgave her for that. He he in that autobi- autobiographical fragment that I mentioned he he wrote, I can never forget that because he had finally come back into the daylight as it seemed to him. He had finally gotten out of that horrible place. All his his wildest hopes had come true and then his mother wanted to send him back to the blacking warehouse oh. and so just never got over it. <laughs> so I, I don't know that they're already dealing with like a lot of stuff here. And sure. I guess they probably not have room to deal with any more. And the father issues alone <laughs> are enough for one movie, but, <laughs> um, but it would be, I mean, it would be interesting to see them deal with, with his relationship with his mother, because that was, that was pretty fraught as well.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you, you don't see that play out so much in his books. I don't know if it was too painful or what, but um, you you don't see him. You you see sometimes depictions of like frivolous mothers, silly mothers, or it's uh, stuff like that. But but he'd never really you never really see him try to um, work out that particular relationship, as, as I recall. Yeah, and it may have just been too much, <laughs> too much for even a genius to deal with. Um, to to d- go diving into that.
0: Yeah, but yeah, and I, I I can't get over that like that scene. It's just such a great scene with Tara, where he says he doesn't change. You know, people don't people mm-hmm. don't change, and that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, starting that inspiration of like, well, he has to though. Yeah, and like his friend is telling them, if Tiny Tim dies, then what's the point? What do you? What's this book about then? Just horrible things happen, and that's it. For what a great Christmas story. And I know. Yeah, and I think that Charles Dickens really wants, but this is real life. This is what really happens Mm -hmm. in real life. And so, yeah, it's really, really hard for him to get over that fact that yeah, I've experienced this. I've seen it happen. People don't change. People are horrible. And it's, uh, mm. yeah, it's really hard for him to, to, you know, to to admit that a horrible person like Scrooge could change. And he's creating the character.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and putting aspects of his own self into it, which, which um, makes it even more meaningful. <laughs> that he's like, it, it, sort of subconsciously, maybe he's like, I have this in me and it's going to stay in me and it's not going anywhere. Right. Uh, and I love how the characters are all just hanging around his office now mm-hmm. waiting to be put to work. And, and Scrooge is like, nah, you're never going to do anything with us. He can't make it work. And and, <laughs> and he finally has to go out to, to uh, get away from them. <laughs> And, and uh, here he is right back again with Forster after he he tried to fire Forrester. and Forster's like, "You can't sack me. I'm just your friend. I'm not your employee." <laughs> so again, Forrester is, is being you know, really kind and understanding. And I mean, you know, God send us all friendships like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, in my own friendships, I often find myself, you know, sometimes afraid to be honest, afraid to speak up. Um, and af- afraid of what might happen to the friendship. And, um, a- and I admire those friendships that are so durable and so strong that you can, you can like get things out, <laughs> you can get things off your chest and maybe you're not always being wonderful, but, but um, you can find understanding. And and here um, Forrester is basically like being a great psychiatrist because okay. he's probing and probing and trying to get to the bottom of Scrooge and maybe a little bit trying to get to the bottom of Scrooge's creator too,
2: mm.
1: because like, why is Scrooge greedy? What is he afraid of? And, and, um, trying to help him with the writing uh, and the creation of this character and the forward movement of this character.
0: Yeah. And yeah, it, it is kind of a sad thing. Uh, there's a, a documentary that I really like uh, because it's uh, called Lemmy about uh, the lead singer of the band Motorhead, uh, Lemmy von Kilmeester. And uh, there's this really, really there's this part that really breaks my heart. Is uh, a, a, like a professional wrestler, uh, Lemmy got uh, diabetes because he drank so much, mm. and uh, a wrestler got diabetes also. And they they spoke. And he's like, "How do you handle it?" And Lemmy says, uh, "You know, I mean, you just live with it because it's you're too old to find God now. So
2: mm. you
0: know, it's this idea that yeah, I'm too old now, so there's no point in changing. And it's oh, just well, such true. a yeah, it's such a heartbreaking kind of way of thinking that
1: mm-hmm.
0: you can't change now. It's you've lived this life your whole life, so now there's no point in even trying. And
1: yeah. Oh wow."
0: Yeah, and uh,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I, I find it kind of interesting and funny that uh, Forrester and Dickens have now gone out and gotten drunk, <laughs> right? <laughs> because we, we saw uh, just a few scenes ago, we saw his father come home drunk and Dickens be a little disgusted with him, and and so again, I, I don't think they're like sledgehammering it, but but they they just sort of subtly keep bringing out these similarities, right? Like, I mean. Your, fa- your father may be driving you crazy. You may resent him, but you're sort of him all over again.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I mean, he that that's where he got his imagination and his dramatic side, and all these things came from this man that he resents, and and uh, so it's no wonder he's kind of all yeah. gnarled up inside.
0: Oh, now my dog's acting and, up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and, and go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, uh, he's now he's talking about like his fears. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: he's he's got this writer's block. He doesn't know what to do with the characters, and he's terrified of what might happen if he doesn't get it done on time. Get this book done on time, in time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, it's interesting that getting to talking through Scrooge's fears has sort of helped him like confront some of his own, but, um, he was, he, he was a man who he, 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 did end up supporting a lot of people. I mean, as I said, he would eventually have 10 children. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was supporting his parents as we saw, he was trying to help his sister out a little bit financially where he could. Um, he was a big philanthropist, always raising money for, for people, donating money to people. Um, so he felt like he was this one-man industry. Like he, he had this great talent. He had this ability to write books that were very popular and beloved. And at the same time, he felt like... Um, I've got to keep it going. If I don't keep it going, everything will fall apart. All these people depend on me. Mm. I, and, um, it, it was, it was a ton of pressure.
0: Jeez. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know that when, uh, athletes get signed to giant contracts, they say people come mm-hmm. out of the woodwork to, you know, to ask for money because we were there, we helped you get to this point. So now you owe us and, it's kind of a sad state mm-hmm. of affairs, but the, and it's not just that people ask them, it's like, they feel the obligation to do something, mm-hmm. you know, to help out their friends. And it's, yeah. you know, it's understandable, but, uh, it's also like, uh, can be a big problem because, you know, that's your, you know, you're kind of wasting your money. You're, you're not throwing your money away or anything like that, but you can't help everyone, you know, and it's, yes. yeah, it'd be, it can get you into trouble if you
1: yeah yeah a, a, a sense of duty um, yeah can really put you under pressure and and here we see where his father is going through his his trash um, looking for samples of his signature to sell yeah and this, this is where he really fully cottons on to what's been going on there and um, is outraged and humiliated and all that and and um, f- feels like he, he says like little pieces of himself are being sold off right. and so uh, yeah that this is this is a tough thing to watch and it's like his his inner Scrooge is really fully coming out right. I mean I, obviously he has reason to be upset we've just been talking about how hard it is to support parents and all these other people mm-hmm. so he, it's not like he's without it's not like it's without cause but his anger is just like really boiling over here yeah. and he's sort of letting that side of himself loose. And we um with the the Scrooge inside him, sort of egging him on and telling him like, you know, give way to your <laughs> give way to your bad impulses, give way to your resentment, right uh, let your anger out and um yeah, and, and it's not pretty <laughs> and and um, you know, I like that this movie just goes for it, goes there, shows his dark side, yeah um. Uh, the the best a lot of the best movies uh, even the best christmas movies do like it's a wonderful life i mean people forget they're like oh it's a wonderful life you know uh, <laughs> christmas bells and angels wings and all these you know cute things and then they go back and like uh, wait george bailey is like screaming at his children and throwing things around what I what is know.
0: this <laughs> like oh that that scene with uh with uncle with his uncle he's just like
1: oh that's oh, he... that, that's the That's the roughest. I almost watched that scene through my fingers because it affects me so much. I know. Um,
0: Oh, it's so, because it's really, really, and he's like grabbing him and he's shaking him. He's like, I'm not going to jail. Do you hear me? I'm not the one going to, oh, it's so like, again, like you said, it's really dark. And we, we forget, we totally forget because of all the fun, funny scenes. And, but yeah, it's, and it's great for that reason.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, talking Christmas movies, I think maybe, I I think most of us would admit that Christmas sometimes for all the joy and all the traditions, sometimes it brings out the really bad side of us. I I mean, dealing with like family relationships that maybe we don't have to deal with for the rest of the year. (laughs) We're dealing with like a lot of stress, we're dealing with a lot of really hard things and um, our bad side comes out. And and so it's kind of this weird paradox. And I think a lot of the best Christmas movies um, deal with darkness Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's there's this underlying thing where um, if it's a celebration of goodness and hope and light, that's so powerful, but you don't get the full strength of it unless you're willing to show the darkness that it's sort of,
0: Right. Delivers
1: us, um, the darkness that that light comes into and um yeah so so maybe maybe like underneath where we're not always conscious of it there's that sort of um theme going on and those sorts of tensions going back and forth and that's why that's why we need darkness in our christmas movies <laughs> <laughs> so and and we've just see him seen him uh get mad at tara who he never gets mad at and and uh out of the room and and um, perhaps unwittingly all the way out of the house. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean we're talking dark here, really dark.
0: And yeah, he was angry. He didn't. He didn't mean to. He essentially said, you know, to said to the other maids to get rid of her, not knowing that it sounds like he said fire her.
1: Right. And yeah.
0: that's exactly what they did. And he's you know just unintentionally did so and. Regrets it, but you know it's not like yeah it's
1: yeah and he's not always um, and, and we're gonna see some of this coming up when he talks with Catherine again. Um, he's not always conscious that someone in his in his position with authority over other people has to sometimes watch what he says right. <laughs> and and um, and be more careful about what he says and not just like. Um, throw that power around and so now, now he realizes she's out of the house and he's like well bring her back and they're like it doesn't just work like that
2: yeah. <laughs> she's
1: and London is big and teeming with people yeah. and uh, this is going to take some doing and so um, again here is here is where uh, Kate sort of like tells him a few truths about himself that he needs to hear yeah, like and um, and tells him, you know, and, and, and talks about how there's two of him, which, again, sort of it, it sort of reflects the bipolar thing I was talking about earlier, but also just maybe could be said of any one of us that we have we have uh, goodness in us and we have a lot of sin in us, too. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes let the the wrong part of ourselves take over and and he's done this and she's telling him this.
0: Yeah, and again, like um, I we jokingly when we were messaging back and forth about doing this movie, I joked that it's going to be really hard not to make you know not to make this uh, anti-capitalist podcast (laughs) because of you know it's about poor people and how they struggle and how they suffer at the hands of people who you know at the hands of debt, you know, and Mm -hmm. you know, I was joking, but there is that kind of notion that, uh, you know, well, I, I kind of offend people when I say this, but I mean it in a, in the good way in that Christianity is ridiculous. It's dumb. It's, it's really stupid (laughs) because our human instinct is to, it's survival of the fittest. It is Mm -hmm. me over you. What about me? That's, that's instinctual in us. That's what drives Mm -hmm. us. Because we're basically animals, and it's about me, and it's not about you. It's, you know, what about me kind of an attitude, and Christianity is the opposite. It's about mm-hmm. others. <laughs> it's about loving others, and give, I mean, pray for your enemies, and or, you know, love your enemies and pray for those. That's ridiculous. It's the dumbest thing <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard, but that's because that's what we are as human beings, you know? Right is it drives us to hate and to be angry and of course that's why like you know hate and anger and all these things are so you know prevalent right now in the news and in all sorts of things because hate and bitterness and fear is a lot more attractive it's a lot more you know it's it, i don't know it's it, it's it, it's what drives people a lot more than love and compassion and forgiveness Mm-hmm. You know, but that's how you make the world a better place
1: right yeah and 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 we've seen here how in a moment of stress, yeah you mentioned Dickens earlier as somebody who was always trying to be better and do better, but we've seen how in a moment of stress, even a person with that desire can revert to his uh, what what you might call animal self to his to his um his worse self to, Mm -hmm. to his sin nature, as we would put it. Um, and, and just let anger and selfishness have its way with him and, and direct him. And, and that's what he's done. And, and now he's, he's going, he's going back to the the blacking warehouse, um, back to, to all those issues he's been dealing with and 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 just that feeling that underneath it all he's really nothing. He hasn't changed. He's still that that boy who was who was looked down on and, and who had to go to work too early and was just was nobody as as um, as Scrooge is telling him here nobody and nothing. Yeah. And, um, you know, all, all, all the insecurities from that experience are coming out.
0: Yeah. And, again, like, you know, I I joke around, like, you know, again, about, you know, we mentioned capitalism. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad. but And I'm bringing it up because of this. Because this is, a father went to debtor's prison. His son had to work at 11 years old and a blackening factory, you know gluing labels to bottles it's it's for 12 hours a day it's terrifying but it's you know that's it's, it's the notion that if we're if we have the sin nature in us and we're driven by greed and and you know evil and you know selfishness then obviously people can treat other people really badly under this system the point is to live within the system and be as good as possible to treat other people as good as possible like it can work and it does work if we try our best to care about other people as much as possible and you know and it it can go really really badly if it's just unrestricted and you know and people are left to their own devices
1: Mm -hmm. i think um that, that line he just said, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of it for another. I think that's the third time now that that uh, he said that, and I want to touch on it. Oh, it's yeah. actually a line from Our Mutual Friend, which is one of his last books, and I, I think it's interesting that it keeps coming up here. They sort of seize on it as the key, and it sort of goes with what you've been saying, um, that when he has this huge identity crisis, when he has this insecurity when he's feeling like he's nobody and nothing, he seizes on this this um, thought that you're not useless if you help someone else. Mm. And that really drives him a lot. And I I think it's something for him to hold on to. And, and it's interesting that they're saying his father used to say that. I don't know if his father really used to say that. I don't. Think so? I think it's just a line that he wrote uh, mm-hmm. himself. But but it's interesting that they took that and they they sort of made it the cornerstone of the whole thing, and they said his father taught it to him mm. because they're they're sort of insisting now. Okay, his father taught him some good things too, and he can't he can't let go of the good part of his father, and he can't he can't let go of that legacy. He has to hold on to it. And so with that, he has to admit that um, there was good in his father and that he is not nobody himself. So 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 it's sort of they sort of made that the the point on which the whole thing turns that that this notion that you're not just out for yourself, um, that it's worth it to help other people. It's even worth it for, for him to help his father because his father taught him that. In the first place. And so now he's he's having his moment with Scrooge here, deciding what Scrooge's fate is gonna be. And Scrooge says, Let me do some good before I die. And so it's like, okay, Scrooge finally wants to change, so yeah. we can let Scrooge change since since the desire has finally come out of him himself.
0: Yeah, he's he's essentially taken control of this character that's been mocking him this whole time and now uh, he's in a grave like scrooge is now in in a grave begging charles dickens to get him out to help him and he can change he can do better and you know and like and it's different than before like you know with this fiery grave as in it's been depicted out of places the grave is actually closing in on scrooge and scrooge is yeah. saying, I'll try to do better I'll live a better life and he's, it's really, really great that he's begging Charles Dickens to write a good ending for him.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like he had, again, going back to that creative process and the way that characters sort of take over, it's like he had to hear Scrooge say that before he could put it into the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scrooge had to stop uh, resisting the idea.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean, that, that's the point of, of A Christmas Carol is helping other people. And we mm-hmm. can do so much for others if we just help a little. And this miserly character, this evil, you know, bitter person who we see why he becomes bitter. We see why, how this happened. And so we grow empathy for them. And then, you know, he changes and he becomes a better person when he realizes his decisions affect other people. And that life is right. more than just the money that you collect. It's it's how much you love other people. It's how much they love you. It's you know it's 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 all those things. Oh boy, my dog's just <laughs> knocking things over with his tail.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah, um, we don't know for a fact what exactly was going through Dickens' head when he wrote the last part of the book when he wrote the part about tiny tim did not die but if you look at the original manuscript or uh, a facsimile of it which is very interesting to do Mm -hmm. you notice that the words who did not die were written in after so (laughs) so it looks like if you read that part what it looks like is that he originally wrote to tiny tim he became a second father so he sort of has the implication there okay Tiny Tim is around for Scrooge to be a father to, but at some point he decided, or somebody told him, I don't know, that you got to spell it out. (laughs) Yeah. He specifically said Tim did not die. (laughs) So, and and I think we kind of need that at the end of the book. We just need to be absolutely sure. Right. So he made sure that we knew. And, so, uh, um yeah,
0: Tara comes back to, ret- and funny enough, because she's, an uh, she's an Irish orphan, as they call her before. That's why, you mm-hmm. know, when he sent her away, now she has to go find another job amongst all the other, you know, Irish orphans <laughs> that, uh, mm-hmm. that are, are running around the streets of London trying to find jobs. And so it's going to be really hard to find her. And yeah. she comes back, luckily, because she still had the book that Charles Dickens, uh, you know let her borrow and uh-huh. and now he gives her her job back and tells her you know tiny tim lives he's going to survive and uh, you know to her you know you know to her joy
1: mm-hmm. yeah um and and we saw that that brief little scene where he sort of um tries to set things right with Catherine. And she's like, I know, I know you don't deserve me and so forth. And, and, and it's cute. And, um, <laughs> in actual fact, the marriage did not end well, sadly. And, wow. um, that was, his fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we don't know a lot about Catherine, but it, from what we do know, it seems pretty clear that it was all his fault. Right. And, um, and yeah, so I, I like the way knowing that I, I like the way the movie treats this marriage. I mean, we, we see that well, while he is the hero and and uh, there's good reason for him to be the hero because he was a, a, a great genius and a great philanthropist and, and uh, a sympathetic man and all the rest of it. Uh, he was also very, very flawed and did bad mm-hmm. things sometimes. And um and and so the movie also sympathizes with Catherine too and with, with quite a lot with her and i like that <laughs> i like that that we can have we, we can both have him as the hero and her as a sort of quiet heroine even if she's in the background a lot we we still are getting very much the experience of what she goes through how much she puts up with how much she must love him to put up with it and um yeah so I, it was, let me see, this is what, I, I forget what year this was. I should know that. <laughs> this is like the 1840s and the marriage was would end, not, not with divorce, but with separation. Yeah. Like maybe I, maybe it was 10 years after that. I'm not sure exactly. I, I should have written these dates down. My thinking is all fuzzy. Uh-huh. But maybe the 10, 12, something like that years after that. But the place they're in now, I think, is depicted well. I, 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 think, I think, you know, there you see the tensions, the strains, but also the moments of harmony that are very sweet. And, you know, I, I think they did a good job with that. Um, and I don't know. We, we also saw a nice reconciliation scene with his parents. I don't know that that really ever happened, <laughs> but it, it fits well into the story. Um, it sort of it, it um, goes well with all the themes in the story it shows him at least you know trying to make an effort <laughs> and yeah. i i do like that so yeah there, there's a lot of a lot of good things that the movie does here
0: hmm. and this is a you know a similar scene as like when we saw little women is uh seeing his yeah. book it printed out like his finished book after he wrote it sent it to the printers they printed it and now he's holding it and what a feeling that must be to to have the book that you've been working on so, so hard. You've been working so hard on.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and, um, when we've seen him go through so much, not just fighting writer's block, but also dealing with so many, so many issues and problems to Mm -hmm. make it happen. And it just, um, it's, it's, you just know it's the most incredible feeling. And, um, And now, and it's, here, here comes Thackeray trotting up with his (laughs) own, it's like, it's like one of those realistic moments when like, you're, you're just having a moment of ecstasy and here comes like somebody to to rain on your parade a little bit. But, but I think he's so excited and so happy that even Thackeray can't really bug him that much right now. (laughs) Maybe a little bit, (laughs) but um so everybody's getting together now for the Christmas party at the end. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, again, you see just how much, how much he got from his father, how his father's like naturally being the entertainer, you know, entertaining the children, putting on a, what, what was it? A puppet show or yeah. whatever it was, uh, like a diorama or, or a cardboard stage or something. I don't know. But, but, um, Again, <laughs> again, the, there are the similarities. Yeah, and, uh, I, I find this amusing. She's like, "Oh, what is this?" And I'm like, "Did he just like smuggle a whole Christmas tree into the yeah,
0: house?" Yeah, no, <laughs> you
1: know? but uh, that was cute.
0: Yeah, when did that uh, Christmas trees? I not that you know this, but when did Christmas trees become popular? Because he puts up a Christmas tree and he say, "Oh, it's German. It's uh, I think they call it a tannenbaum." And yeah, because apparently think... they don't know what Christmas trees are yet, so.
1: He mentioned that Queen Victoria has one, so maybe it really was right about this time. And I love this part where um Forster's gonna read Thackeray's review and Dickon can't look. <laughs> he just can't look. He's looking sideways because he can't stand it. And then all of a sudden it's about to be a good review. And um and he's just so excited. <laughs> um it it's funny, um that I I find you know Thackeray. I've read Vanity Fair, and it's good. It's very good. Um, but I find it hard sometimes to read other Victorian writers who aren't Dickens, like Thackeray. <laughs> like, um, I, I do like I, I do like some of a, a couple of the writers, but um, I, I like the Brontes very much. Mm. But um, in, in a lot of cases, um, I just when I read other Victorian writers. Uh, I just feel like there's something missing here because, because Dickens is just so um, he, he does something that he, he has stuff in him that no other writer has. And it's just like, you're, you're sort of um, missing something. And, right. and, and it's, not, it's not Trollope's fault. It's not that great fault. They can't help it. They're just not uh, Dickens. Uh, it, it reminds me of um, when I took a Victorian uh, literature class in grad school, and we all had to read um, Gaskell, Trollope, Thackeray, Hardy, Dickens, mm. and, and, and like the standard people. And uh, our professor took a vote at the end of class, and we unanimously voted Dickens the best. <laughs> so sure. it's not just <laughs> it's other people too. There's a reason uh, why why even even though um, there's sort of much contested these days, there, there's a reason that his works survive.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that was the, like your problem is that you started out with the best, so now you yeah. <laughs> you have to you can't go backwards. And,
1: and then it's like, no substitute. And yeah. I'm always wanting to get back to Trollop again, for instance, and say, Okay, people say really good things about Trollop. I'm going to try him again, and you know maybe one day I will. But but um, it's just not quite the same.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't have he doesn't
1: have the energy. Doesn't have the humor. Doesn't have like the the same level of social commentary and compassion, and so it's just like it's like nobody else is going to do it for me in the quite the same way. (laughs) So, uh, yeah.
0: (laughs) So we're coming to the end, and it says Charles Dickens published uh, *Christmas Carol* December nineteenth, in eighteen forty-three, and it's and it's sold out.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. I think he broke even with that first edition. He probably, I'm guessing he probably made money on it afterwards, but, but we know he saw, he got into this because of his shaky finances. He ended up only breaking even because he spent so much money um, getting the thing published. And then, so, so it's like the idea took over from the original purpose. You know, I got to make some money the idea took over transcended everything mm-hmm. and um, took on a purpose and a life of its own
0: mm. yeah and it said that uh, um that charitable giving like went up really high mm-hmm. after the publishing yeah. of the book it sold out and just charitable giving just became and and they uh, kind of a nod to the uh, you know an explanation of why it's called the man who invented christmas is they're saying that the book uh, changed how we celebrate Christmas every year, which uh, right true or false? What do you what do you think?
1: I think it absolutely did. I, I, it popularized Christmas, which um, I mean, it was recognized as a holiday, but people didn't really do a lot with it by the time he wrote this book. I, I think he drew on a lot of like traditional celebrations and ideas and so forth, but but they, those things weren't quite as popular anymore by the time he wrote, and then a lot of it came back, and and um, people just really um, seized on some of these ideas, and not, not just the traditions, but also uh, the idea of, of being more generous at Christmas, hmm. and um, yeah, it, he really did help to revive a lot of things.
0: Well, that's great. I mean, because... I, I got us. It's, it it has to be one of the best. You know, I mean, well, I haven't really read a lot of Christmas <laughs> books, so you know. But uh, I do think it, it's such a wonderful read, and th- I'll probably watch every adaptation that comes out of a Christmas Carol, <laughs> just because <laughs> yeah. it, I have to. And you know, the Disney one is probably one of my favorites, if not my very favorite, <laughs> because it's just so good and yeah it's, it's yeah. just a timeless story it's so great
1: mm-hmm. yeah and and honestly i mean you know i love the 1951 version and i also love the muppet version oh
0: <laughs> great yeah it's so good
1: it's so good and it uses a lot of the dialogue from the book which is impressive and it there's such a sense of joy and hope in it mm-hmm. and you know they, they um they show the dark parts um they, they 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 sort of like joke about the dark parts a little bit, like when Gonzo and Rizzo are like, "Yeah, we're ducking out now. See you later," because it's going to get dark. But <laughs> uh, but they do show it, yeah. And, and they just do they just do. I mean, beyond having all that fun Muppet stuff in it that we all love, they just do a good job telling the story. Yeah. And that at bottom is the thing that really matters.
0: So there you go, uh, the man who invented Christmas. Uh, wonderful movie. If you guys. I haven't seen it. Like I said, it's on Hulu. Totally recommend it. It's such a delight. And again, it has darkness in it too, just like uh, the Christmas Carol has. It's just, it's such a, I, I don't know. The, the, I, I don't know. Did, did I mention it at the beginning, I saw it the first time and I was just thought it was okay because I kind of wasn't paying too much attention to it. I just kind of had it mm-hmm. on. and But this time I realized this is a great movie. So thank you so much for recommending it and for doing the podcast to talk about it.
1: I'm so glad you liked it. Um, I, I uh, saw it when it first came out in theaters in, Oh, I'm forgetting the year. It's been a few years ago
0: now. Yeah. I think it's it's recent. It's like 2017 or something.
1: Something like that. And like I said, it wasn't, it, it didn't get a lot of attention, but, um, it, it just, I, I, I loved it so much. And, um, I, i'm hoping that you know more, more and more people will will watch it and appreciate it because there's just so much there to appreciate
0: yeah and uh, that's good to hear coming from a dickens fan especially because they could have really <laughs> messed this one up and just <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And,
1: and like like i said i like that they show him warts and all because mm-hmm. um i think it's so valuable a depiction like that um when, when, when we wrestle so much these days with what do we do with authors and and composers and and singers and actors and so forth who like have parts of themselves that really aren't good and that offend us and like do we cancel them do we embrace them what what does it say about us if we embrace them but if we know if we know like they were like they had dark sides or whatever and um you know there's so much of a conversation to have there like obviously you don't want to like sell end up celebrating rapists and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's not a black and white issue. It's very nuanced, but I do like the way this movie handles it. And I think, um, there's, there's something to be learned there that, that, that they weren't afraid to show dark parts of him. And, but they're still arguing that he was a genius who created an immortal work for good reasons, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for, for passionate reasons. And, um, so you know, let's just try and and take it all together, and you know, see what we can make of it.
0: Right. Okay. Th- so there you go. Uh, anything coming up? Uh, you working on anything right now that we can go and uh, visit oh, or check out?
1: Just this and that. Um, I like I mentioned before. I um, I have a blog about Dickens. It it is. Let's see. I think it's. 12 years old now or thereabouts mm-hmm. uh, It's, it's Dickens blog.typepad.com. And, um, I invite anyone who's interested in, in, um, reading or learning more about Dickens and his works to come check it out. It, it's um, I started it not because I thought I was an expert, but because for the opposite reason, actually, I'm not an expert. I, oh. <laughs> I don't like I, I ever have been an expert. I started it more to learn than to teach. I started it to to sort of like get into conversation with other fans and to learn from them and so forth. And so it, it's been that it's done that for me. And I think it's done that for other people. And and, you know, we've had some fun there. So so I hope people will come and check it out. Every, every year I publish a schedule of, like, when a, when the various adaptations of A Christmas Carol are going to be airing. And, of course, now with streaming services, that's changed a little bit. Oh, yeah. People don't still don't necessarily watch for it on TV now anymore. But <laughs> for those who look for it on cable channels or whatnot, uh, we still put that out there. So that's available for anyone who, who wants it.
0: Yeah, sure. And you wrote a review of this movie also. I remember reading mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So that's great. And yeah. yeah. So there you go. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Thank, thanks, Gina, for uh, doing the episode. This was great.
1: This was really fun. Thank yeah. you.
0: <laughs> so, uh, everyone, thank you guys for being here, and Merry Christmas. I forgot to say that at the beginning, but uh, we yes, are Merry in the Christmas, Christmas. season. So. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks. Oh, that was great.
1: Thanks. That was fun.
0: Yeah. I watched, This is the second time I saw this in two days, so uh, very much enjoyed yes, it both thanks. times.
1: <laughs> good. Uh,
0: so, uh, again, again, thanks for doing it, and uh, I'll catch you soon. I'll let you know when all this stuff comes up.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: All right. Bye.
1: Take care. Bye-bye.